we're going to continue on with uh, some of the songs of the season from Luke's gospel. And um, you'll remember that each of our Advent weeks, we focused on a particular song from the gospel of Luke, and uh, we, we uh, went over that. For the first one was Zechariah's song, and it's a Latin call, song called Benedictus, it's in Luke 1, 68 to 79, and it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you remember that back then? Okay. Secondly, we heard the Magnificat. This is where Mary starts out singing, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Do you remember that from Luke 1, 47? And then Craig, Pastor Craig, spoke to us on the Gloria, which is there in Luke 2, verse 14, and it depicts the angels singing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. These are the songs of Advent in the book of Luke, Luke being a... a, a, a focused on songs, and we're going to do the last one that's in there, and it is uh, it's called Simeon's Song, or in the uh, Latin, Nunc Dimittis, which is in your bulletin there if you have one. The spelling is absolutely crazy. And it means, now let me depart. This is what we're going to look at today. So as is our custom, if you would turn in your Bibles or Bible apps or what are your, whatever you're reading the, the Bible from and stand with me uh, in honor of our Lord as we read this portion of Scripture. And we're going to start with verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of, two, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to, his, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
This is the word of the Lord to us. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Just a couple of thoughts before we continue. And I want to say that our focus thus far has been uh, songs that have been sung at the rejoicing of the coming of the Messiah. This morning, the text has placed Simeon as the primary character in our reading. However, I don't want to let Anna out. She's a prophetess, and she has much to say, but we're only going to uh, uh, add that in a little bit at the later, and you'll see how it all comes together. So as, the, as we begin, we want to ask the question about the when and why Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple on this particular day. What's, what is it about that day? Well, we know one thing. It was not for his circumcision or his naming. That's in verse 21. That was, came just before the reading that we did this morning. That's when he's eight days old. So he's later on after eight days at this point in time. But this day involves their purification according to the law of Moses. And I want to share a little bit from that. It's, it's in there in Leviticus 12, 1 through 4 and 6 through 8. If a woman bears a male child, she is unclean for seven days and the boy is circumcised on day 8. Verse 21. Then she continues the, for 33 days until the completion of the purification rite. During this time, she shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifi purifying are completed. And then she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it up before the Lord and make atonement for her. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves and two pigeons, one for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. And then, at the end of the purification... Jesus, Jesus is, uh, has his public coming out, if you will. He's given to the priest, and the priest holds him up, and the priest prays over him to the Lord, and that's the, the ceremony that they went to the temple to complete. But I just want to remind you that if this is happening for all the parents who are having children... Her purification and and in the child's presentation, then there's a lot of kids running around the temple. There's a lot of mother, young mothers and fathers. There's a lot of children, and so uh, it's important to know that the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in the lives of uh, Simeon and Anna to point out which ones are Jesus and his mom and dad. You don't see that it's per se in the scripture, but you can read that in early enough because of the, the amount of people in the area. So, in terms of this offering, Mary offers both a burnt offering and a sin offering for her purification after 40 days, and the baby Jesus is given to the priest to be presented to the Lord. And there, alongside with Simeon and Anna, are others who are looking and waiting for the coming Messiah. But I want to look, focus right in at this time uh, and look at Simeon. There are four characteristics of Simeon that are clearly delineated here in the scriptures. In verse 25, we see that he was righteous and devout. 
And we probably know a little bit more of that word righteous than we do about being devout. That's my guess. Being righteous is acting in accordance with divine or moral laws, free from guilt or sin. And that word devout is a little more complicated. It's from the Greek ulabis, and it means handling things well or circumspect, God-fearing. So he's righteous, meaning that he's a believer, and he acted like one. And in terms of being devout, he was God-fearing, and inwardly he sought after the things of God. Those are the first two characteristics of Simeon. Then we see that Simeon was a person who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I got to tell you, I can remember when I was a younger boy and we would, Christmas time, we'd read the scriptures and we'd come to this consolation of Israel and it just kind of went like this, right on over my head and absolutely clueless as to uh, what this is. It's a difficult word, but if you just realize that it comes from the word console. Have you ever been consoled? Absolutely. Sure you've been consoled. Something has happened to you, and your spirit is grieved, and someone comes alongside and blesses you and encourages you and lifts you up and consoles you. Yeah, sure. We... It's, it's also the era of when the Messiah returned to Israel would take place. Is another piece that comes in there. The scripture that we would use for that is Isaiah 41 because it says the advent of the Christ would bring comfort to God's people. If Christ came, he would bring comfort when he comes again, he will bring comfort to his people. And Jews on the street would greet each other with this phrase, may you see the consolation of Israel. Another interesting thing about this word consolation of Israel uh, is if you look at the Greek word for consolation, you find a word in the Greek that's parakalesis, and that's two words, two words, para, to come alongside, and kaleo is to call. And if you put those words together, and and let me read a scripture from John 14 that you you will because I'm going to tell you, it's in the Greek (laughs) below and behind this word. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Counselor in the NIV. If you're reading NIV, it's counselor. To be with you, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Bottom line is the Parakaleos is the very Holy Spirit of God who comes alongside to be a counselor, a comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, a consoler. Consoler is what I want to say. If you put this together, you get that the consolation of Israel as being the comfort and the encouragement to Israel by way of the Holy Spirit of God that takes place at the coming of the Christ child. The word Holy Spirit is the same as the word consolation. And then finally, the fourth characteristic that it says in our our verse that we read is that that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit. Three times we see that. Verse 26, that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the... by the Holy Spirit, right? 
that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Holy Spirit has already communicated this to Simeon, and now he's, Simeon is just waiting for that event to come to pass. And then verses 27, 28, we read the following. And he came in the spirit. That's right. He came in the spirit uh, to the temple when the parents brought, the, brought Jesus the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, and he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. The Holy Spirit was on him mightily. First, to just come on in the... uh, uh, First one is where the Holy Spirit of God was on him, whether it was in the temple or was not in the temple. He had the Holy Spirit on him. The third one is when the Holy Spirit came in and told him, this is the day to go in there. This is your day. And then the one in the middle is, um, is you wouldn't see death until, the Holy Spirit told him he wouldn't see death until he saw the, the Messiah. Incredible, isn't it? Filled with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding him into the temple to make sure he came across just the right couple with the right boy so that he could go and take Jesus and then lift him up. So he was, so the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon in spades. Then as he lifts him up, he sings this song, which we mentioned earlier in the Latin, Nunc Dimittis, And I'm going to read that, the words to that song from 29 to 32. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory and for glory to your people Israel. He no doubt, Simeon, no doubt knew from the Holy Spirit that his time of waiting and watching of the coming Messiah was starting to come to an end. Can you imagine that? Increíble. A key piece of our discussion are these scriptures here, so I want to... I want to set them aside and lay some other pieces of information out that are alongside of them. And, that, and it goes like this. Remember when we described how he is righteous and devout? That's the, that's the perfection of moral character as stated in the Old Testament. If you are a follower of of God Almighty in the Old Testament that you were one who was righteous and devout. You're waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is intended to be the attitude of every true Israelite and expectant, eager, and a continuous looking forward at the coming, for the coming Messiah. And it was into his arms that, the, that this man who was standing at the junction of the Old Testament and the New Testament, he's standing right there, one's closing out, one's starting where the Christ was laid for whom he'd been so long in looking for. Can you imagine? Secondly, we have here the imagery of a slave recognizing and submitting to his owner. Now the word used here for the word Lord, kyrios, kyrios is the common word used for Lord in the Greek, verse 29, is this other word, and it's seldom used, it's only used 10 times in the New Testament, And it's a harsh word uh, for the word Lord. And uh, in English, we get the word despot. Y'all know what a despot is? A despot is a ruler. Only 
it usually comes across in the negative. It's, it's a... I'll, I'll, as we get to it, we'll, we'll open it up a little bit. That he's not um, only a lord in sense of being a constitutional monarch, but a despot is in the sense of being the absolute owner of a man who has no rights at all because he is a slave. And we know that Sam, si, Simeon, did I say Salmon? Was I gonna, let's have salmon for lunch. Okay, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> okay, let's get back on the Simeon. We know that he's talking to Simeon here because Simeon has the word in the sentence in verse 29 that is the same word that says uh, servant, doulos. Servant is either a doulos, uh, a servant, or it's a bond slave, or it's a real slave. It's a, it's a slave. So we know that he's putting together despot and slave here in, this, in, in the Greek that's behind the English here. And he's saying in terms of himself, because he knows exactly the Greek here, he says, thou art the owner, the despot, and I'm the slave. I'm the slave. That relation to owner and despot as wicked uh, as it is when existing between criminal elements is a blessing of all blessings when regarded as being between man and God. For what does it imply here? The right to command and the duty to obey the sovereign will that is supreme over all and the blessed attitude of yielding up one's person wholly without reserve and without reluctance. So he, it's, it's very much okay for him to be the slave when the despot is the Lord Almighty. You see? is Lord. And in, in some places in the um, uh, uh, English, it's translated as master. We'll see that in a second. And yet, how do we know this is directed specifically at Simeon? We know because of the context of the song, Simeon's song here, the phrase, according to your word, in verse 29, the word that Luke is using here is the word for rhema, not the word for logos, in terms of the word word. The most common use of the word word is in the Greek logos, and this is a rhema. So the difference is, logos is an idea or reasoning expressed by words, Rhema in the Greek is a communication uttered by the living voice, which is the Holy Spirit. He's speaking directly to Simeon here, because he uses the word lema, rhema, not the word logos. Getting back to despot and slave allegory, the despot has the unequivocal right to life and death over the slave that he owns, right? If he chooses, he can smite him down where he stands and nobody can hold the despot accountable. Thus, absolutely, we hang on God because he has the power of life or death over us. Every moment of our lives is a gift from his hands. Anybody here not see that or not believe that? That every moment of your life is a gift from God? It is. It absolutely is. If, in fact, it says in Colossians that all things are in his hands and he holds together all things, if that's the case, then all things 
then he has control over all things and he has control over us, integrating with all things. And, fi- and finally, <laughs> and, and finally, <laughs> with my tongue stuck to my mouth, slave owner has complete control all, over all the slave's possessions. He can take and do with, her, with those possessions whatever he wants to do and can take them and do what he likes with them. And so all that I call as mine is his, and it's his before it's mine. It remains his while it's mine, and because I am his, it belongs to me and it belongs to him. I own the cattle on a thousand hill, right? Go to Black Angus and see if there's any left. Just kidding. Now, this all sounds a little bit rough, but I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna pull you out. Uh, I'm gonna pull you out of the cavern here. Uh, Peter says this. He uses the word despot. It gets translated as master. Uh, they don't put the word despot actually in there. Maybe they think we don't know what it means. But anyway, I don't know. Uh, he says, he spoke of men's denying the master, despot, denying the master that bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Second Peter 2, 1. So you see that Jesus Christ has bought us by his own precious blood, right? Sure. Uh, And um, as he would say later on in verse 12, to everyone to whom much is given, much is required. Jesus gave him himself, so there is no way we would deny the one who bought us, right? So, Uh, because of his death on the cross, much was given to us. In fact, so much was given to us. How how far was given to us? It's a word that starts with an E. Eternity. Was that you, Brent? Good, Good on you. Eternity. Yeah. That's how much he loves us. And then lastly, we have here where Simeon recognizes and welcomes, actually welcomes his oncoming death. Who does that? I'm going to look at the petition again, verse 29. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. But if I take two steps back, and it seems to me that this is more of a statement of fact than a petition, but nonetheless, Simeon is recognized that his days are drawing to an end. And it's his glad recognition of that fact. He, when he lifted up the, the, the boy, Jesus, he, he, he wasn't in a scowl when he did that. He brought him before the Lord in a, in a spirit of rejoicing. Absolutely. He says, it's as, if, it's as if Simeon is saying, Lord, now I have the time. The time has come when I may put aside all this weary waiting, the burdens of this life, and go to my approaching rest. And since I'm already that close, let your servant depart in peace. Another way to state what's taking place is here is part and part of this musical service called Nuke Dominitus in the Latin, Now Thou Dost Send Away. And including in that from the Latin is a technical word for reliving, relieving a sentry from his post. You know, it conveys the idea of an hour having come when a, a slave who's been on, at watch all night long 
all night long, and then he, or he's toiled in the hot and dusty days, he can now extinguish his lantern, he can fling down his musket, he can go home to his little hut, Lord, thou dost dismiss me now, and I take my release from this long watch I've been on. I remember years ago when I was bouncing around the South China Sea in a destroyer, following, following after and protecting aircraft carriers as they did their work. And let me tell you, work on a ship in the Navy is arduous. It really is. You work your eight to five day at sea. You work your days at sea. And then you stand either the eight to midnight or the midnight to four or the four to eight in rotation every night. So you're up every day and you're up every night for that period of time. And you know what the, the best time is for standing watch through that night? Is when you hear the footsteps of your relief coming through the out coming up the side of the ship and comes into the, uh, into the uh, bridge. I worked on the bridge in navigation. I kept us um, st uh, on course throughout the night. And they, were, they would come in and you'd tell them where we are and, and, and all this other stuff, and then you got to go. You got to go and go to sleep. <laughs> and you did it again the last, next night. But notice still further how Simeon not only recognizes, but he welcomes that approaching death. No, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. And, and in that, you kind of get a sense of, of a tranquility, of accepting permission the request will bring. No agitation going on here. No flustering of any kind. Simeon quietly slips away from his post and the reason for the peaceful welcome at the end is what Simon says in verse 29, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The, words is the, re the word is the reason, first of all, for being sure he knew what time it was to depart. But it is also the reason for the peacefulness of his departure, he went in peace because of what? Because the weary, blurried old eyes had seen all that a person needs to see to be satisfied and blessed. Life could yield nothing more, even if it were doubled for this old man, than the sight of God's salvation. And can it yield anything more to us? No, not if we've encountered the Savior by the Holy Spirit as Simeon has and are busy standing the same watch like the author named Lander who wrote so succinctly for us today. I have warmed both hands at the fire of life and I'm ready to depart. The final words of Simeon's song tells us that the Lord has prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He's proclaiming this especially to Mary and to Joseph. You know, if you re remember back in the Christmas story, you get these little glimpses of times when Mary and Joseph really didn't know what was going on, did they? She pondered these things in her heart. She heard them from the angel, from this person, from that person, um, from uh, her sister Elizabeth, her cousin. Uh, she knew, she heard it, but pondered them in their heart. So 
this here, this part right here, you know that she's going to understand what uh, being the consolation of Israel because they were Jews and they would know all about that, but their son being a light to the Gentiles would probably have surprised them a little bit. This is going to be the Messiah to the Jews. He's going to bring the consolation to the Jews. And he's also going to be a light to the Gentiles. Say, what? Really? Can we leave them out of it? No, Mary would not say that. But you can, you can see the difference there. This portion of the story of Simeon and Anna is called Simeon's Song, but the story continues. He goes on and he says in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus will bring aggravated ruin upon some because they've rejected him as well as procuring salvation and recovery to those who believe on him. And verse 35, and the sword will pierce your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The darts that are shot at the sun shall pierce Mary to the depths of her heart, stinging her with the bitterest of griefs. She stood there at the cross when her son was dying. Her heart pierced. This is the prophetic word to that taking place. And then finally, we see from verse 36 and 38, we talk about Anna. She's an elderly woman. She was married for seven years after her virginity, and then she was a widow for 84 years. So why is she in the story? Wait a minute. Don't get too, don't get too uh, high-handed on that. She's a prophetess. She does and speaks for the Lord. And she happens to be there in the temple at the same time as the Messiah coming. And the Lord granted to her that, that closeness, that visitation. She did not depart the temple worshiping and fasting day and night. Okay, so I'm going to divide this up. And we're going to take the next five days... And we're gonna, and everybody gets the time here, praying and fasting, inside the the church here. And uh, some of you will get the night watch, and you'll go through the night, and then you'll come back to the next night. Does that sound something like you want to do? Praying and fasting, night after night. waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So day in and day out, these two old saints who represented absolutely the best of the Old Testament covenant while at the same time was giving way to the new and the coming Messiah, they were longingly and expectantly standing their posts, watching out for God to break into history. Do you know what a, a, a breaking into history that was when Jesus came as the, the baby Jesus? Absolutely. Huge. Huge. And these old saints could see and recognize this because they were not seeing with their eyes, but they were seeing past the present to the things that were not seen, the things that could be seen only with the heart. 
And day after day, they rose and waited and prayed and waited and prayed some more and quickly developed a promise that would be taught by the grown-up Messiah in the years ahead, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And see God they did. And they didn't care that he was only a 40-day-old child when they saw him. They rejoiced and praised God for him. So let me ask you, what is it that we find so intriguing this morning about these two who were in the temple that day? Is that the fact that they were both in the presence of the very Son of God, that Simeon was able to touch and hold and bless our Lord? I mean, all you got to do is uh, look at any parent's grandchildren and, and see the parents go nuts because of that little baby that would soon have them rolling around on the floor and then have them taking them to places and then have them taking them to places for older people. Bill Runyon can talk to you about babies rolling around on the floor. He used to have two decent knees. What is it about these two that's so remarkable? Maybe, maybe it's that they're older and they're approached to the end of years and to look at them, it appears like they may finish up at the winner's circle, at the finish line as winners. Or maybe yet... It's the fact that the Holy Spirit has spoken to Simeon and told him in advance he would not die till he saw the Lord's Messiah and Anna's ministry of serving night and day and praying. I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what we find intriguing about this. It's the focus of their hearts that we admire. Hearts that can cut through the everyday fog of life and grab onto the reality of the mystery which lies beyond the veil out there. They knew what being in the presence of the Messiah meant because they'd been there, and, and Simeon's righteousness and devoutness resulting in the Holy Spirit's presence in his life. We saw that three times. Who do they write about three times in such a small space about the Holy Spirit being upon them? You don't see that that often in the scriptures. His efforts to imply his knowledge of his duty to obey the sovereign will of the Messiah who is, who is supreme over all. Finally, Simeon takes on an attitude of a slave submitting himself to the Lord by standing watch at his age, at his assigned post until the Messiah would make his appearance. And when the Messiah arrived, even Anna couldn't wait to speak to everybody in the room about who this one is over here. The one over there. The one over there. You see, she's got brown on and he's got blue on. Yeah, that's, that's the Messiah. Yeah, sure. What do you know? No, no, I'm, look, I'm telling you, that, that's who it is. That's who it is. The Spirit of God told me. So for Simeon and Anna, it was God who had prepared them to recognize and receive the Christ by stirring up a longing for consolation and comfort which can only come from the Savior. 
And that's why I believe hearts near and far are tender and yearning at this time of the year. Yearning for something more than we can produce ourselves through the years of trial and error, trying to make life work on our own, which we've been unable to do without the Christ child. But that's us. For Simeon and Anna, their focus doesn't come from superficiality, but from a God-given cry located deep in their hearts that would behold the coming Messiah. So as we wrap up, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Having heard again, because I'm sure you've all heard this story before, but having heard it again today, where are you at? In six minutes and 22 seconds, you're going to walk out that door. If I were to place you alongside these two seniors, what would motivate you to day after day stand your posts in obedience to the one who has called you into his service? Whether it be waiting or watching for the Messiah's second coming, you heard that song, second coming, it's coming. And I'm going to stand up here and tell you it's coming sooner than you think. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. whether it's waiting or watching for the Messiah's second coming, like I said, or proclaiming his consolation that is available to anyone who would call upon his name and submit themselves to him or his Holy Spirit, would you be one who submitted yourselves to the master while he stands at the door and knocks on your hearts? Or even still, possibly this morning, this morning's stories has brought you to wanting to be another Simeon or Anna who led by the Holy Spirit would wait on the Lord until he comes again in the sky and make no mistake about it, like I said, he's coming for his church and he wants to take up those who love his appearing, as the scripture says. And because the process of getting back to our post-Christmas routines of life might just quench our expectations of his presence with us and return us to something more familiar, filled with ourselves and our agenda, I'm going to ask A.W. Tozer to give us some of his words. The widest thing in the universe is not space. It is the potential capacity of the human heart. Being made in the image of God, it is capable of almost unlimited extension in all directions. And one of the world's greatest tragedies is that we allow our hearts to shrink until there is room in them for little besides ourselves, and I'm going to add, and our agendas. I'm going to invite the worship team up at this time. For the new year ahead, it's my prayer that 
The Lord would shower upon us all his Holy Spirit so that we may understand this morning's rhema. You all received the, you all understand you received a rhema from the Holy Spirit today? In Jesus' name, let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we humbly come before your throne of grace after marveling at the obedience of these two servants of yours. They've taught us much in terms of how we might serve you even more as we move forward from today. And because there may be someone in this room who has not invited Jesus into their hearts and thus are out on their own having no connection to him, we want to give each person today an opportunity to make Jesus Lord and Savior of their lives. All you have to do is simply pray a prayer of invitation like inviting Jesus into your hearts. And you can use words however you want to, just maybe something like this. Dear Lord, your word tells us that you are standing at the door of our hearts knocking. And if we hear and open the door and invite you in, you will gladly come in. So Lord, we hear you. We hear you knocking. The new year is right in front of us, Lord. We want to end differently than we began. Forgive me of my sins and come into my life and make me your Simeon and or Anna who would serve you completely at the end of your, at the leading of your Holy Spirit. Change me from who I am and give me a new life in Jesus Christ and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.